Bless the Lord. Amen. Let's make our confession. This is our year of Jubilee. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power. We believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in Romans chapter 1, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know, there are scriptures, passages of scripture in the Bible that are uh, extremely important. And, and these uh, first three verses in Romans chapter 12, they are top tier scriptures because it tells you in verse 2, that right thinking will bring you into the perfect will of God. We have, over the last number of weeks, been teaching on man's authority. We've looked a lot at Jesus preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And one of these truths have brought me to a place of greater understanding. Jesus dealt with uh, the Pharisees and their religious positions. And he spoke in one place to them about how their traditions made the word of God of none effect. Now, the word tradition, as it's used in the New Testament, means preconceived notions. And there are thoughts and um, beliefs that we can have that will hinder the Word of God, which is the most powerful thing in the universe but will hinder us from being able to reach the maturity and the understanding that God would have us to have. One of these things is identified to us in John chapter 14, where Jesus at the Last Supper had at least two disciples that didn't believe he was the Son of God. Now, how do you walk with Jesus for three years and see miracles of healing, see the, lo the loaves and the fishes multiplied to feed 5,000, and then it happens again with a crowd of 7,000? 
How do you see Lazarus raised from the dead and not believe that Jesus is the Son of God? It's funny to me how that whole denominations of believers around the world have been taught and brainwashed into thinking that the disciples had something special from God. It's one argument that uh, certain groups use to discount the, uh, the power of God, the healing power of God from working today like it did when Jesus was here on the earth. But if you look at the reality, the disciples who later become the apostles show themselves to be maybe the stupidest part of mankind. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus begins his ministry. He's baptized by John in the Jordan River. The Holy Ghost descends on him in bodily form. And like a bird would fly from the sky and land on something here on the earth. That's how it happened with the Holy Ghost anointing Jesus. Jesus is then taken into the wilderness where he prepares himself for the ministry that God has for him. And he defeats the temptations of the devil. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee and there went, out of, there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. John writes in the third chapter that Jesus had the Spirit of God without measure. That means he had all the equipping power, all of the healing power, all of the miracle power of God resident on and in him. Here was a man that was absolutely full of the power of God by the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And he understood certain things about what made the power manifest and what made the power work to bring people healings and miracles and whatever they needed. He immediately goes to Capernaum and he ministers there for a while. And then he goes to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. Verse 15, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Then the account of his ministry in Nazareth, where he was rejected.
Mark chapter 6 says, in, in talking about in Nazareth, he could there do no mighty work. The, the only thing he could get accomplished was a few minor healings by laying hands on people. But here he is, full of the Holy Ghost. But he understood how the, the power of God could be manifested and was manifested. So he, after no results in Nazareth, Verse 28, all they in the synagogue when they heard these things were filled with wrath. But in verse 31, he comes down to Capernaum and taught them on the Sabbath days. He goes back to where he got had results. Verse 32, and they were astonished at his doctrine for his word was with power. Then he cast the devil out of a man in the synagogue. In verse 36, and they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, what a word is this? For with authority and power, he commanded the unclean spirits and they come out. I want to read this to you from another translation. The complete Jewish Bible says it this way. Oh, wait a minute, I've got the wrong. I'll get it in a second. They were amazed at the way that he taught because his word carried the ring of authority. So Jesus' teaching on authority Verse 36, and they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, what a word is this, for with authority and power he commanded the unclean spirits, and they come out. I want to read this to you from another translation too. They were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. Again, verse 36, what a word is this? They were all astounded and said to one another, what kind of teaching is this? Why he gives orders with power and authority to the unclean spirits and they come out. 
in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So Jesus is in his house in Capernaum. And he's teaching. And again, he's teaching on authority. That was a, a major focus of Jesus' ministry. Teaching that man had authority and not just teaching that he had authority. I religiously thought for a long time that Jesus was sent to the earth to prove that he was the son of God. But that's not true. Jesus said the things that he focused on was revealing his father to those that would hear him. And it must have been such a frequent focus or major focus of his ministry that the Jews got all turned upside down. The religious people, in spite of the healings and the miracles and the other things that are taking place, they get upset because he calls God his father. And on several occasions, they tried to kill him just for that, that reason, just because by the way he preached and the credit that he gave his father for the miracles and such, that the Jews got upset and said that he was making himself equal with God. Well, he was equal with God. So here in Luke chapter 5, the power of the Lord is present to heal them. The power is available to them. But they failed to take advantage of it. Folks, Jesus understood that nothing was impossible because of the power of God that was upon him. He knew that there were certain principles that governed the power of God. First and foremost of that was that faith was necessary to access or take hold of the power of God that he was operating under. Here it says the power of God was present to heal them. So it was healing power that was available. And then it tells us about one guy whose four friends came to where Jesus was to receive healing for their friend. They couldn't get into the house and so they went up on the roof and took the roof apart and lowered him down, lowered their friend down in front of Jesus. And Jesus heals them. 
but during his ministry time, he disputes with the Pharisees and the doctors of the law, the, the religious people that are there about the power of God to forgive sin along with the power of God to heal. So this man on the, the bed that's let down through the roof, he's the only one that receives healing for his body. Although the power of the Lord was present to heal everybody else that was there, there must have been other sick people there. Otherwise, why would the power of God be available to them if there wasn't anybody that needed it? So this man that's let down by his friends is the only one that gets healed, even though the Bible says that the power of the Lord was present to heal everybody in the place that was sick. So here's Jesus, full of the Holy Ghost, again, without measure. And people fail to receive or receive the benefit of the power that was there and present. I think one thing that a lot of folks need to renew their mind to is that it's not just the source of the power that's necessary. I would hazard to guess that the majority of Christians are of the understanding or the belief that if there was somebody like Jesus that was full of power to heal or to perform miracles, that those healings or miracles would take place because of the person that was anointed of the Holy Ghost. But if the power of God that was upon Jesus didn't just automatically work because it was present, and the fact that it was present identifies for us that it was God's will for them to be healed. If it wasn't God's will for them to be healed, then Jesus has operated outside of the will of God and has committed sin by teaching the teaching that he did that brought the power to be present. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Then called Jesus his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Verse 2, And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He's not teaching, he's not sending them out to teach or to preach to people that he's the Messiah. He sent them forth to heal the sick and to preach the kingdom of God. Now, that kingdom of God is defined in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
The kingdom of God is where the will of God is done on the earth just like it is in heaven. So what's Jesus doing? He's healing because it's the will of God. He's healing all that will take hold of the healing power of God by faith. Folks, the Bible says Jesus is coming back for a glorious church. But the Bible also says that there will be many people that will fall away from their Christianity and get sidetracked and deceived. So it seems that the church will have a dual presence here in the earth. There'll be a lot of people that will abandon sound teachings of the word and follow other people. They'll follow people that claim to be the Messiah. But then there will be a, a percentage of the church that will operate in the power of God. So you, the church will be split, but glorious. So back to the disciples. Here these 12 are given power by Jesus to heal the sick and to cast out devils. And their instruction is to preach the kingdom of God. In other words, to preach the will of God for man to be healed and to heal the sick. Then in chapter 10 of Luke, it tells us, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come. Therefore he said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Verse 8, And into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things that are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. So again, the, the 70 are sent out in twos in different directions into cities that Jesus will come to at a later date. And he makes the connection again between the kingdom of God where the will of God is done on the earth just like it is in heaven. And it's identified that the 70 healed the sick as well. Now they come back to where Jesus is in verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subjects unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. 
Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now notice the word power is there twice in that verse. It's two different words in the Greek. The first word power means authority, and the second word power, the power of the enemy means ability. So he said, Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the uh, ability of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Again, look at the emphasis that's placed on man's authority. That seemed to be a main theme with Jesus, and it certainly was a main theme with the apostles. Now, with Jesus anointed of the Holy Ghost without measure, we understand that that means he's ready and equipped to do whatever is necessary to promote the kingdom of God or to reveal the kingdom of God to those that are following him and attend whatever services he's having, wherever he would have those. So with Jesus and the unlimited power available to him, Jesus would have to be a man or a person of faith to be able to identify where the power would be received and how, in whatever manner, it would be demonstrated. Now, Jesus... talking to his disciples about this power gives them instructions. Remember at the Last Supper, Jesus tells them it's better that he go away because if he doesn't go away, the Holy Ghost cannot come. So Jesus is telling his disciples, those that followed him then and as well as those that follow him now, he identifies that to be born again and to receive the life of God, eternal life, is better than the disciples and what the disciples in the 70 had is better than the miracles that they perform. It's better than the healings that they minister. Now put yourself in the disciples' place for just a moment. When Jesus gave them authority over all the work of the devil, 
and overall sickness and disease. They wouldn't have any trouble thinking that that was their power. Who could possibly experience and have a greater understanding of the power of God that begins to work through them because they'd still be aware of their own shortcomings, their own sins, their own unrighteousness. But to these sinners, these unrighteous men that make up the disciples, God doesn't come to them and have Jesus say, now, what God would like to do would be to give you power over sickness and disease, but you're such a ragtag bunch of sinners. He can't do the work that he wants to do. Instead, Jesus uses these men who were willing to give up the rest of their lives or the other parts of their lives to a great degree and be his disciples, that in itself was sufficient to qualify them to be distributors of the power of God to heal the sick. Jesus told them in Acts chapter 1 after his resurrection told them to wait in Jerusalem let me back up to verse 6 when they therefore were come together they asked of him saying Lord wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel now these guys are, are saved John chapter 20 tells us about Jesus appearing in the room that they were in that was locked for fear of the Jews. He shows them his hands. He shows them his side where they thrust, the Roman soldiers thrust the spear into his side. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Ghost. Now the work of the Holy Ghost that he's talking about, he goes, he continues and explains, he says, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted, and whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Now, he's not saying that the disciples have power to decide whether somebody gets saved or not. He's talking about the preaching that they would do and the remission of sins that would result. But after they're saved, while they're waiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Ghost to be poured out as Jesus told them to, they're not concerned about spiritual things. They're still occupied with the Roman government control over the nation of Israel.
they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. Verse 8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea, and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Folks, this is a rapture. This is a rapture experience that takes place. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. These angels are saying this is the way the rapture is going to occur too. Just as Jesus was caught up, so the church will be caught up and be with him forever. Notice verse 8 again. And you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. Now, folks, notice what it says, the power of the Holy Ghost is for. And you shall be witnesses unto me. Now, the only way the church can be a witness unto Jesus in the manner that he describes is for the church to do the same works that Jesus did. See, Jesus was here on the earth and he taught the kingdom of God and taught man about the authority that he has and has been given here on the earth. But then Jesus demonstrated the power of God, which is a part of the kingdom of God. So for the church to be witnesses unto him, the church has to come to the place where it's not just words, but also demonstration of the power of God as well. That's what Jesus means when he says, the church shall be witnesses unto me. Now with that in mind, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Here's another top-tier scripture, beginning in verse 16. I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding or your spirit being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power 
and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Notice what he prays for. He prays that we would be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So we're supposed to grow in knowledge of him and who we are in Christ and knowledge of the word. The eyes of our spirit being enlightened or open that we may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Notice verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. This passage or this prayer is very instructive to us. First of all, the prayer was given to Paul by the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost saved it and preserved it for us. This is these truths in my thinking commend this prayer to us in great manner and revelation by the Holy Ghost. And notice what Paul says about the power of God. He says the power is already in us. So just as Jesus was anointed by the Holy Ghost and given full equipment for the ministry he had, Paul says we've been given the power of God by the presence of the Holy Ghost in us. He's creating with these words a picture for us to understand that just as Jesus had the power of the Holy Ghost to do whatever ministry God had for him, and that ministry that God had for Jesus was really divided into a couple of different categories. One was things that God initiated, like John chapter 9, where the man was at the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus healed him, even though he didn't have any faith to receive. There was a gift or a manifestation of the Holy Spirit that caused him to receive his healing from his crippled condition. But there was another category of ministry that Jesus operated in that included the woman with the issue of blood who when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind, for she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. When she touched Jesus, straightway the fountain of her blood, the blood that was flowing from her body ceased. And she told Jesus what happened. But remember, Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house, 
because he's been summoned by Jairus to come to minister to his daughter so that she would live and not die. So the ministry of Jesus was in part, or in some instances, identified by the will of God to show his mercy to mankind. But the other part of Jesus' ministry was to be in a position where people could come to him and make requests for him to come with them on occasion, at other times, just to minister to the people that came to it. So the fullness of the Holy Ghost, the fullness of the power of the Holy Ghost was made available to Jesus for every aspect or every category of ministry that he undertook. That's the power that he says is resident in us. Now, because Jesus was equipped with the Holy Ghost or by the Holy Ghost to minister to the needs of the people as they were presented, in the same way, Paul is saying that every believer has that Holy Ghost power that will heal the sick, cast out devils, and meet the needs of the people, whatever they might be. So since faith is necessary for the power of God to be received or be taken hold of, Jesus exercised himself and revealed himself to be a man of faith so that the power could always meet the needs of the people. In the same manner, it's required of us to be men and women of faith, to be ready when opportunities present themselves or people come to us for help. Now, folks, when your mind becomes renewed to this truth, it'll change the way you think of yourself. It'll change the way you pray. He says that every work or power of the devil is under our feet. The Bible tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And it also says we're seated with him too. Now, how can we pray for God to do something for us and ignore the fact that the power of God is already resident in us, in our spirits, 
to take care of whatever need we find ourselves in. See, Paul is telling us that because of the position with Christ at the right hand of the Father, he's telling us that we need to pray down concerning our problems. I think that most of the church is looking at themselves as under the problem rather than already on top of the problem, praying down. Folks, that'll change your prayer life. When you learn to pray down to your problems or concerning your problems, it activates the power of God on your behalf. Because that is faith in action, isn't it? For us to accept that we're seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And all things are under our feet. Jesus said that, or the Bible tells us that Jesus was raised far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. If we renew our minds to accept that to be true, not because we feel something, not because we think something about ourselves as having earned that position, but rather accepting it to be true because God says it's true. It changes who the devil is working toward. Because we become one in Christ in accordance with the way that the Bible identifies it. And the devil doesn't look for too much of those that are in Christ and know they are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, because of that power that works in us, we can do the same works that he did and even greater works he said we would do. We need to learn to pray down to our problems. There's an element of that that brings us to the realization that God has already done something about the problem we find ourselves with. And because he's already done something about it and that something he's done about it is raised Jesus from the dead That puts us in a position of faith where we can believe that we receive whatever we ask for rather than struggle and 
work ourselves up into a lather trying to get God's power to do something. That power has already done something. It made you part of the power, part of the family of God. It made you the recipient of healing and provision and everything else that Jesus died for. How many of us have a problem that wasn't included in the plan of salvation by Jesus' resurrection? I don't believe you can find a problem that's not covered. And it elevates us to a position where we can give the devil instructions as the exercise of our authority is made. Now, folks, what changed? God didn't change. His word didn't change. But we're talking about making a change in our thinking. Now, remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, so whatever he's about to, to make mention of is the way the world operates as is governed or influenced by the spirit of this world, influenced by the devil. So be not conformed to this world or this world's way of thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind the transformation takes place when we start thinking right. The transformation results in us proving, which means to determine by experience, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God doesn't have three wills. He's talking about the perfect will of God being good and acceptable. But the scripture specifically says that we'll determine by experience, or we can say it this way, that we, by thinking right, we will experience the perfect will of God. Well, what is the perfect will of God? For the things of God to be made manifest in this world, on earth, just as it is in heaven. That covers provision, it covers healing, it covers the peace of God, it covers every redemptive aspect of Jesus' sacrifice. Your problems are under your feet. They're not on your shoulder. They're not riding on your back. The truth that we need to renew our minds to is that our problems are under our feet. 
That means in Christ Jesus, we have a position that is far above any of the devil's works. Anything that he's ever done, anything that he ever will do, anything he ever wants to do. And that's the place of authority that Jesus taught. That's the place of authority through his sacrifice, through the shedding of his blood that brings us to experience God's perfect will in every part of our lives. Because we are in Christ Jesus. The devil is under our feet. Jesus said he's the head and we're the body. Well, the feet are in the body, not the head. So since they're under our feet, it's specifically identifying that it's up to us to do something about it according to the power that's already deposited in us by the presence of the Holy Ghost. Remember, Jesus told the 70 in Luke chapter 10, verse 19. All authority, behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. In other words, to tread underfoot the ability of the devil. And he gave us power over all of the devil's ability. So to renew our minds to the truth of the reality that the devil's under our feet puts him under our feet. Not just in principle, but in reality. There's just something about the knowledge, the truth that the devil's under our feet that gives us greater confidence and maybe greater authority to tread on the power of the devil, to put it underfoot. It'll change your prayer life, I can tell you that for sure. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus, fulfilling your plan of redemption. Satan, we command you to take your hands off of our bodies. By the power of God, as identified by the work of Jesus, we refuse to let sickness and disease remain on our bodies. We refuse to suffer lack 
because we're in Christ. So Satan, take your hands off our bodies in Jesus' name. Father, we call every need met according to the provision made by Jesus when he took the chastisement of our peace upon him. Father, we worship you and we thank you for this spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Open our spiritual eyes to show us what you've called us to do and what belongs to us in our inheritance as children of God and reveal to us what is the exceeding greatness of your power to us who believe according to the working of your mighty power which you wrought in Christ when you raised him from the dead. We have resurrection power present in our spirits. And we call ourselves, according to your word, we call ourselves risen with him and seated with him in heavenly places. Thank you, Father, that nothing can hold back the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. We thank you, Father, for providing for us in every way. We thank you for making us a place in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Say it with me. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen. God bless you, folks. Have a great week.